All right, today we're going to do a pitch deck review for a Peruvian cannabis cultivation, I believe. I guess we'll find out. So we're going to go through the seven tips to a successful investment deck. You have to stay tuned through the rest. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast to help us with this Peruvian growing pitch deck or whatever it might be <laughs> is Katrina Glogowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back with us. Thanks, Josh. So the seven tips to a successful investment deck is one, do they identify the business plan goals? Two is, do they know their audience? Three, do they understand the market? Four is if they've identified needs and roadblocks. Five is, do they know what sets the business apart? Number six is, have they introduced the team and products? And seven, have they created a summary so with that, let's jump right into Can Farm. Can Farm, I think, is uh, is in Peru, down in South America. So uh, we'll see what they got going on for us. There is a rare growth potential. Recent and expedited future legalization represents a sudden unlocking of growth and innovation opportunities that's rare in both its initial size and dramatic growth potential. Vast applications. So cannabis has the potential to be used in a wide variety of uh applications, and then uncommon competitive barriers, companies that embrace engineering principles, invest in intellectual property, and leverage foundational scientific data will be long-term winners in the cannabis industry. All right. So not really about the, the business plan itself. This is like in general, the applications of cannabis and competitive advantages that cannabis has and potential that cannabis has. So nothing that really is specific to this deck yet. Uh, so they go on to say, what makes Canafarm special? They have a market-oriented strategy. So as a licensed cannabis importer and wholesaler in Peru, they're generating cannabis-related revenues since 2020 while developing commercial and distribution networks, both domestic and international. So that's good. I had no idea Peru was importing cannabis. I had just assumed that they didn't have a license and this was a pre-money play. It looks like they're already generating some revenue. I like the fact that they have a license, yay. Um, but also, assuming that this photograph is their uh, is of their actual facility, they have a building. They got lots. Uh, they're they're pretty far down the road, and and I like as an investor to see that um, we're not funding an idea. We're funding a business, and this is very encouraging, Josh. Yeah, at first I thought it was a rendering because it looked like a drawing, but that might be a real photo. <laughs> well, I see people on the street, so that's good. Yeah. So they're going to have an acceleration phase. Their pharma grade manufacturing facility is going to contribute to their business next year. And they're going to hold cannabis cultivation and manufacturing licenses in Colombia and expect to receive one in Peru in the near future. So it looks like they're trying to go for GMP. Uh, you know, licensed facilities. It's kind of the, the global standard. And the timing of it all, they're going to be ready to expand their production capacity in time with the expansion of the cannabis market. <laughs> Pretty general. 90% uh, of the cost advantage. So Canafarm, they've got the lowest production cost for cannabis since it enjoys the best location on earth. If so they are lower than Colombia. Yeah. That is huge. 
Yeah, I was going to make this same comment. If if they can compete against you know either Venezuela or Colombia, even Argentina, uh, if if their terroir is is equal and uh, the sun and everything and the labor costs are are lower, then they'll be doing pretty well. Depending on the the government and and the politics behind it all because mm -hmm. we did see a lot of the Canadian LPs pull out of Colombia for whatever reason that's still not clear to me why they've done that well because we'll find out eventually so they've got a risk reward profile looking at unique investor proposition offering a debt like risk coupled with an equity upside so with that there's a 2.5 million dollar loan with a promissory note as three percent interest a five-year maturity term and a warrant to purchase canna farm holding shares with a 20 percent uh, of loan I'm, I'm guessing that's the 20 percent discount I, I would say that would be a discount yes so up to 500,000 that evaluation of 12.5 million that's not horrible josh it's not uh 2.5 million dollars for one percent of, of a company uh so so far so good uh yay on the peruvians uh they're they're ticking some boxes here josh valuation is uh decent um interest rate is low um from what we've seen but you're not really going to get any percent anywhere else and so like again we'll just kind of have to see what all is included, assuming they have licenses and maybe some patents or trademarks or something. They've got some photos of uh, what looks like a, some labs, looks very clean. Yeah. So what are the risks? They say that there's a loss of investment in case Canafarm is not successful. Venture debt investors could lose their money. That's with anything. Canafarm venture debt investors benefit of debt-like risks since they have seniority over Series A and founders investors, which is good. That yes, means that, that is good. The founders aren't immediately vested, so that's nice. Uh, and covered by fixed assets, so but property, plant, and equipment, so all normal. There's regulatory risks, so a Peruvian authorities might revert the regulatory framework and go back to prohibition. It's very unlikely that it could happen since the Peruvian Health Department has already approved the sanitary register for several cannabis products, and cannabis products are already being sold through private pharmacies, including Canafarm's cannabis products. And they hold both a cultivation license and a manufacturing in Colombia as backup. So that's nice. Yeah. So it looks like they're able to uh, produce and export a lot more than they expected, holding that import distribution license and deploying an initial business as an importer and wholesaler of cannabis health products, generating cannabis related revenue. And they have uh, extensive experience with their founders running agricultural operations. Uh, they're saying that it's efficient and cash burn rate is a lot lower than any other cannabis company. Uh, it's nice that they are at least considering cost of goods sold, Josh. Hopefully they provide us with some numbers to establish that. Uh, but so far, so good. I'm, I'm actually kind of uh, impressed with this. Yeah, so far, so good. There's some technical risks. So they might be unable to properly manage the cannabis crop. So looking at um, 
even with the extensive experience and ability to manage agriculture, they have, um, you know, just unsure of, I don't know, hurricanes or whatever. So there's a strong innovative, innovative approach through their agroscience division, a part of technology and uh, looking at high yielding genetics. And they have uh, been awarded several national R&D competitive grants for innovative projects in Latin America and the US and mm -hmm. founders have combined experience of efficiently managing over a thousand hectares of six different crops under organic and biodynamic practices and performing ag consulting services in 30 countries over the last 25 years. This is something an investor likes to see. Uh, hopefully they give us some names so that we can confirm these statements. Right. Market risk, there could be an oversupply in some countries, limited access to global markets could reduce global sales volume. 2020 production will be oriented to the local market where they already have commercial activity and Canna Farms project is designed for scaling up projection and expanding production of only 2.5 hectares in 2022. So they're gonna produce an organic pharma grade cannabis and then look at price pressures, um, you know, reducing their price. So due to their unique strategic location, they can per, their production costs will be the lowest in the industry to deal with those price pressures and indicating that their production costs will be one-tenth that of Canadian companies. Josh, I'm really happy that they did this slide. I, I think this slide is a little dense but I am happy to see it because these are often the criticisms that you and I raise. Uh, cost of goods sold, what happens when you can't sell your, your pot for $250 a gram? Uh, it, it sounds to me like these people are on top of it and it's very encouraging. Yeah, and if they can grow for 63 cents per gram, to Canada's $6.30, that's gonna be a, a huge, huge hurdle that the Canadian marketplace will not be able to overcome. Uh, they just can't compete at that level. So if this is the case and they are able to grow as much or more than Canada, then those LPs and their stock price are in trouble. Right. So that's the end of this particular deck. So not a whole lot there. Now I did receive a couple other slides and maybe we'll just briefly just look at those. Talks about market orientation and timing, venture debt opportunity, competitive advantages. Talks a little bit about Peru and continuous innovation. Um, and talks about uh, Shared X, an impact agricultural company that farms over a thousand hectares of organic certified crops, named one of the top 100 global impact companies. And they're gonna enjoy, you know, Canna Farm will enjoy multiple benefits from Shared X's authentic impact orientation. Uh, also being a leading agricultural consulting firm that's participated in over 500 projects in over 30 countries in the last 20 years. That could be like in the addendum at the very bottom of a, of a pitch deck. And then they give us a cannabis Peruvian, Peruvian regulation summary talking about the scope, 
um, and the definitions. Okay, it, uh, their licensing structure seems similar to what we've seen before, breaking it down. Uh, looks like it's medical cannabis. Okay. So that's all we got from them was these three, three things. Yeah, the, the regulation summary could be at the very bottom of the deck, as well as this one page um, PDF, whatever this is supposed to be. But um, yeah, it looks so it looks like it's it's a good start. It's it's got me intrigued. I never looked at Peru as, as a international logistical location for for cannabis. But um, I mean, Peru makes a lot of stuff. I think they're they have coffee and, and other agricultural crops that they send out to the world. Yeah. Well, let's go through the seven tips. Right? All right. So let's take a look at the seven tips to a successful investment deck for this Peruvian cultivator, import exporter, and ask if they've identified their business plan goals. I think they did. Uh, they, they said, we need some money and this is why we need some money. Uh, and a uh, little skimpy on details, but they did have a goal. Yeah, very simple goal of wanting to get more money to expand. And um, what about knowing their audience? Do they understand the investor? They used buzzwords that the investor likes, uh, especially in their ask. Uh, they had very specific details in their ask. Uh, with the warrants and the promissory note rate and the valuation. Uh, they also used a lot of buzzwords throughout their pitch deck. Um, uh, somebody definitely put some thought into this uh, as far as uh, addressing the cost of goods sold, how they're going to be competitive, why they're going to be competitive. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say they did a pretty good job. I would also give them a full point because uh, again, understanding investor audience means giving a proper valuation, which they did um, and giving enough um, you know, risks, which we'll get to in number four with identifying needs and roadblocks. But um, I think they put in enough caveats as well as keeping that valuation reasonable. So number three, do they understand the market? Uh, they did not talk about their, their retail distribution network or retail sales, which is what they're currently doing, or even wholesale sales. Um, it, but they did talk about the market for cultivation uh, and the, the desperation of a cannabis company to keep their costs low enough. And they primarily addressed this by comparing themselves to Canada and being aware of the issue. Um, there were some broad statements, we're gonna be the cheapest in the world uh, without some backup. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give them a half a point there, Josh, only because what they did, um, they, they, their understanding of the market was proscriptive um, as far as, uh, uh, their grow operation that is not currently working as opposed to their current retail operation. I would have liked to known a little bit more about the local market rather than just saying we have Columbia as a backup. 
it's not going to give investors peace of mind knowing that they're going to invest in Peru. And if it fails, well, we could just start all over again in another country. So I'd want to know a little bit more about local competition and um, maybe a little bit more about uh, some of the regulatory framework and what they're doing to expand their distribution and network in Peru, rather than just saying, don't worry, we've got a backup plan if we have to leave the country. So <laughs> I would also probably go with uh, a half a point on understanding the market. I think they do understand the market, but I don't think the deck necessarily reflects that. Um, so moving on to number four, I really liked how they had a ton of needs and, and roadblocks, whether that was regulation um, or, uh, you know, some kind of force majeure hurricane or whatever. They didn't say that specifically. They just said, you know, there could be issues not getting the proper yield. So maybe elaborating on, on what that means, um, you know, cause there's, there are certain issues, right? If you're too coastal or in a hurricane zone or whatever else, uh, but they did dive into regulatory issues and the fact that it's fairly new, um, and any kind of nuanced, uh, highly regulated, highly regulated um, commodity like cannabis is going to have its issues. So maybe just kind of uh, elaborating on that would have been helpful. I agree with everything you just said, Brad. So do they know what sets the business apart? This is where I think they start to struggle. Um, and, and they did. They said, hey, you know, we're going to be the cheapest uh, uh cheapest cannabis in, in Peru. Uh, and that's a nice statement, but there was no supporting documentation, no supporting facts and figures to back up that statement. And this is an opportunity for them to improve. And, and they went through and listed, you know, nine, I think, uh, risks of, of this investment, which are important and they need to be there. Uh, but there, there wasn't a lot of context uh, they are asking for U.S. money, which implies a U.S. investor who, quite frankly, has probably never been to Peru uh, and is unfamiliar with the regulations, rules, market of Peru. And, you know, if I just Googled Peruvian cannabis, uh, what language is it going to be in? Am I going to understand it? So they missed an opportunity there. And so I can't give them a point for, for five there, knowing what sets your business apart. And there was absolutely no information about competition. Yeah, I, I would agree that it would have been more beneficial for them to show you know a little bit more about how they're setting themselves apart from Colombia. What would make a Canadian cultivator or LP want to come into Peru since they left Colombia? Why are you different than, than Canada? Is it, again, is it the terroir or is it just lower, cheaper labor? Because if, if that's all it is, why would they come to Peru when they left Colombia? So again, I would say, why is this company different than the other decks we get out of Latin America? And why are you different and or better than um, than Canada? If an investor is going to go to North America, uh, why should they look at you in, in South America? Uh, and prepare to fall out of your chair here, Josh. Uh, where's the total addressable market slide? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and, and it's only because of their audience. They're, they're again, seeking US money 
and and I have no idea what what were cannabis sales in Peru last year. I I'm, I have no idea, none. Yeah, so while we don't need necessarily the total global addressable market, it would be nice to know, you know, how many medical patients are there in Peru? How many rec uh, avenues do they have for stores? Is it medical? Is it recreational stores? What's the distribution look like? What are your sales? Who's buying? Um, some data would be helpful. We don't need to know, you know, the billions of dollars that are being sold uh, nation you know, worldwide just for this marketplace would have been nice. Um, and it would have been nice to know who are the experts behind this, you know, 30 year, uh, 30 uh, countries and 25 years experience and all of that. That's, that's great. A lot of these decks will lead to investment based on the individuals that are participating in it, not necessarily the idea alone. And so that's why it's so important to include who your team is, a, a bio, a picture, um, showing who the folks are is important for any investor. Uh, absolutely. Uh, if, if I want to go down the road uh, with this investment, I need to know who I'm dealing with. And it is especially important in this deck because they are relying on the expertise uh, that these individuals have as one of their competitive advantages. And if you're going to say we have the best team in the universe, uh, you had better be able to back that up. Uh, and so I think that's a shortfalling there, um, as well as what their product is. Uh, we see that they're already selling. Um, we didn't have any numbers or facts or figures about that, but they did say that they're already selling. And God forbid something goes sideways uh, and they can't grow, they can still sell. Okay, that is great. Investors love that. Now tell me, what are you selling? How yeah, they told, us you the, selling? they told us the brand, but they didn't mention any of the products. So if you're selling infused, um, you know, coffee beans or chocolate flavored or, you know, chocolate covered raisins, or just some obscure product that nobody's buying right now, then um, that would be an issue. But since you didn't mention what you're selling, uh, you're kind of leaving us in the dark a little bit. So don't be afraid to introduce the team and products. So can't give you a point there. I, I would say whoever put this deck together knows what they're doing. They use the right words. They hit the right boxes. Uh, they just need to flesh it out a little bit. Uh, maybe they were just trying to see if they could get a bite before they gave away too many uh, of the secret sauce. Uh, but there's just not enough here for me to bite on. Uh, and, and that would be a room for improvement for them is just to flesh out some of, some of that team and product. Just that alone uh, would, would really help them. And then did they create a, a summary with the call to action? Uh, they gave us the ask. Uh, they gave us the terms of the ask. Uh, I think there was a telephone number and a website. Uh, uh, to, to contact, uh, which isn't always present. So that's good. Um, but, um, I was not compelled to call. Okay. So I think that, uh, you know, if we, if we bump that up to a four, that's 57%, four out of seven leads. It's not too shabby, but, um, in order to get to, you know, a hundred percent. Now, a lot of these decks are, 
um, they don't have everything involved because the individual is probably expecting Q and A or the ad lib, the rest of it, or they have their team with them and introduce them on the stage. And so there's not always that opportunity when it's just you and I doing it for them. Uh, but if they did want to get hundred percent, they would have to um, talk a little bit more about the, the market uh, in Peru, they'd have to have a little bit more information about what sets them apart, specifically, you know, comparing Colombia and Canada, obviously having a slide for the team and whatever products they have, and then maybe a little call to action at the bottom, you know, leave those numbers with the, the ask what you want and kind of create uh, some buzz there. Because this is when you say that you're going to be uh, one tenth of what Canada's doing, that's that's enough for a lot of people to stop and and ask more questions and i would capitalize on that a little bit more i would also focus a little bit josh on the import export i think that they could do this in one slide uh and just say hey we have a friendly friendly relationship or or a, a subsidiary business in colombia we have the license to get it across the border and it's an additional revenue stream uh, and I have to tell you, as a potential investor, uh, the, the most important thing to me is that import-export license. And that is a big differentiator um, from my background. I don't know, maybe everybody in Peru can import and export and it's no special big deal. Uh, but as you know, here in the U.S., uh, import is and export is prohibited. Uh, and uh, even in Canada, they're struggling with import and export. So if these individuals have import export down a, a license, they're doing it, they're operational, uh, that would be very interesting to me. Yeah, and, and there's other opportunities too. They could import hemp biomass and produce a lot of, um, you know, more rare cannabinoids, CBL, CBG, CBN, and export that to the European market. And they didn't even cover any of that. Don't know if it's an opportunity, but I do know that Brazil is right next to them and they produce a lot of hemp. And so maybe there's that, uh, you know, option to, to do that as well. So um, that kind of goes back to what sets them apart uh, and what products are they uh, making? Is there, are there any CBD options in there? Um, because that could help get a lot of product to the U.S., whereas they don't allow for cannabis imports yet, but they could with with uh, CBD or other uh, hemp-derived cannabinoids. Uh, and I'd like to close, Josh, by saying that this is the best international pitch deck that we have seen. Yeah, I think I would second that. There, there has been some really scary ones that we've come across. This one, I think, um, is a is an, a really good start. Um, I think they've got a lot of amazing things in there, like one-tenth of the cost of Canada. I would have not assumed that. Um, we talk a lot about Colombia. Never mentioned Peru, though, until now. So with the help of this deck, definitely kind of opened my eyes to other opportunities in South America. I'll be diving into this a little bit more, but there's not enough there to pull out a checkbook quite yet. All right. I want to thank my guest, Katrina Gugowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for uh, diving into this pitch deck for Peru cultivation facility and giving uh, seven tips to a successful investment deck. Thanks, Josh. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe or don't. And I'm out.